I think that there's been this sort of like reassurance that these values of due diligence and of verifying what you're told um, and of relying on software rules, but then questioning rulers or not deferring to people of authority has really served the Bitcoin space well. And so that's, that's the silver lining here. But this year certainly had very intense competition for sort of worst lesson of the year, unfortunately. Hopefully next year will be easier because we will have removed so many of these bad actors in 2022. Welcome back to The Breakdown with me, NLW. It's a daily podcast on macro, Bitcoin, and the big picture power shifts remaking our world. The Breakdown is sponsored by Nexo.io, Circle, and Kraken, and produced and distributed by Coindesk. What's going on, guys? It is Monday, December 26th, and today's guest is Elise Colleen. Before we get into that interview, however, if you are enjoying The Breakdown, please go subscribe to it, give it a rating, give it a review, or if you want to dive deeper into the conversation, come join us on The Breakers Discord. You can find a link in the show notes or go to bit.ly slash breakdownpod. All right, guys. Well, Merry Christmas for those of you who celebrate or even who just enjoy the day off. Today, I am delighted to welcome back to The Breakdown, Elise Killeen. Elise is the GP and managing partner of Stillmark, which is a venture fund that is totally focused on innovation within the Bitcoin ecosystem. Elise got into Bitcoin in 2013 and started investing in the broader Bitcoin ecosystem in 2014. In this conversation, we talk about the big themes that drove Stillmark's Bitcoin investing in 2022 and what she's looking forward to seeing built in 2023. I know you're going to like this one, so let's dive in. All right, Elise, welcome back to The Breakdown. It's great to have you again. It's great to see you. Uh, this is becoming an annual tradition, our, our end-of-year check-ins, um, which I love. You know, I think it's a, it's a great chance to think about what was, but also about what next. And you, know, you and I have been chatting uh, for a few minutes before the show. There's so much to dig into this year. Um, but I, you know, one of the things that uh, makes you and Stillmark unique relative to other players out there is long duration, uh, acyclical focus on Bitcoin, i.e. Uh, Bitcoin <laughs> retains its focus um, throughout all cycles and, and regardless of what other people have been excited about. And so I think that as this year closes, so many people are kind of returning to Bitcoin, um, coming back to sort of the fundamentals of what got them excited about this space. And, and I wanted to start by asking, how would you summarize Bitcoin's 2022? What was the year in 2022 for Bitcoin? That's a great question. So 2022 was a year for builders, for sure. Um, And then it was also a year where folks were reminded often through painful events about the why Bitcoin has made the trade-offs and choices that it has in terms of what it's building and where the focus of entrepreneurs in the space is. And so to summarize that quickly, Bitcoin, the protocols, are building to offer an alternative to traditional financial rails and an alternative that is opt-in and also opt-out and that everyone has free and equal access to. And so that's what Bitcoin's doing. It's pretty simple, but also incredibly ambitious. And so when we are making changes or um, maintaining the protocol, we're doing it as though it's an airplane in flight. So you know, we're taking as minimal risk as possible to maximize benefits um, for the protocol and for users of the protocol, while at the same time doing it in what's been 
what's been, um, you know, sort of um, accused of being a boring way so that we can progress to this incredibly ambitious vision of being a way for the global economy to be fairly connected. So that's the, the first part of what happened in Bitcoin this year. And then the second part was just entrepreneurs thinking about how to expand Bitcoin's utility and make Bitcoin accessible and valuable for people most broadly. Um, and then, of course, the broader crypto space, um, you know, faced several reminders of the value in building something, you know, building boring tech. And what boring has come to mean in the crypto space is less risk, less risky tech. What happens if you're purely focused on what you can achieve while maintaining, you know, uptime dependability and, you know, sort of a, a, an environment in which trust is not necessary. So it, to me, that was 2022. Awesome. And, and so, you know, as you were investing this year, what were the themes within sort of the, the builders in Bitcoin that you noticed? Or, or were there kind of key themes that stood out? Absolutely. So there's two areas that really had opportunities to mature this year. And the first is lightning infrastructure. Stillmark was really heads down, especially towards the beginning of the year, in looking at what, it, what needed to be built in lightning for lightning to grow up, really, to mature, to be something that could be relied on to provide enterprise-grade reliability and payments and in a future state, perhaps, but in a near-term future state. And what Lightning needed to do in order to be suitable for broad adoption in emerging markets, not just as sort of, um, you know, a tool or a toy for people in, in developed economies and people of privilege, but also to be something that could interact without friction in the daily lives of people in places like El Salvador or in, in Nigeria, in Kenya, in Ghana, places where we're really seeing incredible adoption. Now, the second thing that's happened that Stillmark has been paying attention to in 2022 is the maturation of the mining space. So there's been a lot of lessons learned through the mistakes of first movers that entrepreneurs can, can take advantage of in advancing their own understanding of the opportunity set and um, optimal operations. And so we're, you know, we, we've been paying close attention to that. And what that really means is looking at mining software and also new, new founders taking different and unique shots, um, you know, on goal and what it means to really mine in an optimal way and in a sustainable way, how to diversify revenue and what geographies are suitable for mining. My, so mining, I would love your take on kind of where mining is as we close out this year. It, it seems like a pretty beleaguered space if you're just kind of watching headlines around the big public miners. Um, it seems like a combination of, uh, you know, low, lower prices, uh, you know, sustained competition, higher electricity costs, and then debt servicing from, you know, from, from previous cycles. But w what's your take on kind of where mining is and, and what's, uh, you know, what, what's kind of likely to happen over the next, you know, few months? So for the very mature businesses, the incumbent mining businesses, what we saw was a collision of events, right? Including black swan events, like a war that created an increase in, in energy prices across the globe, really. So miners were exposed to that at the same time that they had taken on more debt 
than they could easily service and where they had paid perhaps less attention than they optimally would have in diversification of revenue. And so because Bitcoin goes through cycles and the price is volatile across, you know, what's, what's historically been a four-year cycle anchored on Bitcoin's having events, we know that, that Bitcoin mining, prop mining will be more profitable in certain years and less in others. And in order to stabilize a company's um, profitability in the meantime, diversification of revenue can be a tool, but it's something that t- takes time to do and perhaps is easier to do from the ground up. And so I think that's one of the lessons that folks paying attention to the mining space have really learned. And then as the broader ecosystem matures, of course, competition becomes more intense. And so not making mistakes becomes more important. And, you know, as we know in tech, the same is true in mining is that it's easier to be to sort of pivot and to be flexible to external conditions when you're a smaller business. It's harder to do when when you're larger. And so you want to be really well positioned, you know, by the time you hit the public markets. And I think we're starting to see some of um, the pain and consequence of, um, you know, even the smallest mistakes as a result of having less flexibility to move when conditions get rough. And so that that will be an opportunity for new miners and for software businesses as well that can create efficiencies for established miners. Yeah, I was going to ask, you know, going into a little bit more detail around what does sort of revenue diversification look like or what are the types of things that people are exploring around that? Well, so first off, I think proprietary mining matched with hosting is something that can be a, a smart and, you know, sort of straightforward way to diversify. And we have seen hosting become an important part of, you know, many businesses um, and then there's sort of, you know, things like looking at what defines your unique, unique approach to mining and how to extend that. So as an example, Stillmark just did an investment in a young mining company called Gridless, which is based in Kenya. And Gridless is in Kenya, um, for those that don't know, has just an absolute abundant, almost, you know, sort of undefined amount of sustainable energy that's unutilized or underutilized now. And so that comes in the form of geothermal. It comes in the form of hydro, solar, wind. Um, there's lots of opportunities in, on the continent of Africa and, and Kenya specifically. And so perhaps there's a chance to get costs down to zero, to close to zero. And what you can do to diversify revenue once you once that's Um, a part of your proprietary mining business is to look at monetizing end of life cycle machines. That can be something that can be offered to other mining enterprises that want to increase ROI on um, large expenditures for miners. And to do that, they need to find the lowest cost or zero cost energy. And so that will be something that Gridless and companies like it will be able to offer and also a manner for them to diversify their revenue. Yeah, one of the things that I think is so interesting about mining is that um, it's a great example, I think, of how different Bitcoin startups can be from sort of what we think of as normal software or technology startups in, in a number of ways. But one being that it is so about accumulation of small edges and operational efficiencies that it, it's, a, it's a type of thing that rewards not – I mean, a lot of tech startups – 
operate incredibly inefficiently, stupidly poorly, and just sort of catapult around until they either fail or they make it. And there's really not that opportunity in, in, in mining. It really is about sort of accumulation of these small edges in some ways and finding new ways to, to do that. And it sounds like that, you know, while historically miners have known that in terms of cost of electricity and things like that, it's really sort of expanding to all aspects of the business model now. That's exactly right. And so maybe to use Gridless as an example again, here's another edge that they have. In addition to Africa having abundant energy, there's also half the population, 40 to 50% of the population that lives without access to electricity. Now, the reason why that is, is because to find an anchor tenant or initial sustained and um, dependable offtake when a project is launched has been historically difficult. So it's hard to predict the demand and who will be able to pay for electricity from day one. And so projects aren't getting funded. Um, And Gridless, by acting as an anchor tenant, has an edge here. They can develop this sort of flywheel effect. They they can come in, get access to really cheap energy by being an, an anchor tenant to get capital unlocked and new energy online. And that new energy online, of course, means more opportunity for gridless to mine or to, as as I mentioned before, to host um, these end of life cycle miners. And so there's this really nice cyclical effect where Bitcoin is doing more here than just offering a business opportunity for miners, but it's also offering an opportunity for energy investors in Africa to find an anchor tenant so they can justify the return on their investment in bringing new energy online to ultimately in the end serve households that are currently off the grid. In an ecosystem where innovation is the norm, it's the basics that are in the spotlight. Nexo is a company that has never put the safety of clients' funds in question. With over 50 global licenses, $775 million in insurance, and a real-time audit of custodial assets, Nexo sets an example for security standards in the industry. Apart from keeping their 5 million clients safe, Nexo has kept building. They've just announced their non-custodial smart wallet. Visit nexo.io, that's N-E-X-O oio and sign up today. This episode is brought to you by Circle, the sole issuer of USDC and a leader in crypto that's held to a higher standard. USDC is a fast, safe, and efficient way to send money around the globe. USDC is always redeemable one-to-one for US dollars and has over $45 billion in circulation as of October 13th, 2022. Plus, Circle posts weekly reserve reports and monthly attestations of reserve capital, letting users know that USDC is safe, transparent, and compliant with regulations. Just go to circle.com backslash transparency to see why USDC is a trusted stablecoin. Kraken Pro is an all-new, powerful trading experience for advanced traders. Spot trade, margin trade, and stake, all from a single interface. With customization tools unlike any other, Kraken Pro lets you set up your trading interface in the exact way you want. It's all backed by Kraken's industry-leading security and award-winning client engagement teams that are available for support 24-7. No matter how you like to trade, Kraken Pro is built to make it happen. Visit pro.kraken.com or download the Kraken Pro app on Google Play or the Apple App Store today. 
So Eric Herzman, who's one of the co-founders of Gridless, is someone I've known for, I guess, going on 15 years now. Um, I met him. He was a TED fellow. He founded something called Ushahidi, which is a crowdsourced mapping platform for incidents of violence around the world. And uh, he was doing that at the same time as I was uh, basically working on post-conflict issues, so sort of very, very aligned. And I think, um, you know, one of the things that sort of validates uh, your point about where these opportunities and edges are coming from, as well as this return to thinking about Bitcoin and the fundamentals of why people came into this industry. I think in a year where we've had a lot of disillusionment with people who talked a big game about impacting the world around them, seeing people who have sort of been involved in finding ways to, uh, you know, benefit their their community and and find kind of small to medium to large wins for people who have uh, very few advantages relative to everyone else them finding their way into bitcoin i think is is very um exciting to me i think it's a, it's a it's an energy and a mindset and a perspective that i that i hope continues to grow within this community yes so you know these folks are not inexperienced founders are they so they these are you know real deal software and hardware experienced founders that saw a problem in their home country and knew, and recognize Bitcoin as a solution to that. And, you know, maybe I should have said that that's part of what defines 2022. But I think we could say that is true of every year. We're all still learning about Bitcoin. And we're all still learning about really what Satoshi did in introducing Bitcoin and discovering Bitcoin. Right. And part of what he did, I think, is bring greater is bring electricity to households in Africa. And, you know, I learned that really through Gridless and through this very, you know, well, I think between the team, they probably have 50 or 60 years of a three-person co-founding team, 50 or 60 years of experience in building and scaling businesses in the region. And one of the edges that we haven't talked about yet that they've developed from that is their incredibly robust network of people like you, but also people in country that are sort of there to help Gridless succeed. Um, and so there will be, you know, I think there'll be some interesting diversification, um, of business model that, that their network affords them as well. So it's a, it's a really bullish opportunity. I think, um, that, you know, that it was one that block and Jack Dorsey came in with us on. And so, you know, Eric has continued to build the network in a way that I hope facilitates Gridless's really good work of both mining and helping to electrify Africa. Yeah, I mean, listen. There's we could. I'll, there's a lot to get to, so so I'll, I'll I'll move us off here. But I will only say that to the extent that people are looking for answers to why Bitcoin, and to the extent that this can really provide a business model that incentivizes electrification off grid, uh, this is a problem that the quote unquote social entrepreneurship sector has worked on for. 20 years with grants and double bottom line capital and triple bottom line capital and ESG funds and all these sort of things. And, you know, it's just, it, it always sort of has that air of it's a social impact problem versus it's just a big business opportunity. And yeah. I, I think it'll be very exciting and interesting to see whether Bitcoin can be a missing piece of the puzzle as it comes to the economic incentives that align things. Yeah. Now we're going to try capitalism, right? Let's see if capitalism <laughs> can solve the problem. So the other thing I said that we were focused on this year was lightning. Yeah, I wanted to ask you sort of, you know, what what specifically on the the infrastructure front, the lightning infrastructure front has been happening? What's important and, and kind of what do you see going into 2023 as the key thing that people are working on in that space? 
there's a lot going on. So there's not going to be one key thing, but the lightning stack that Stillmark um, has backed, including in 2022, consists of lightning labs, voltage and AMBOSS technologies. So who have all had really big announcements this year. Lightning Labs, to start off with, took feedback gained in 2021 from developing markets El Salvador and um, and those several that I mentioned in Africa to learn more about how emerging markets users would want to use Lightning, where they would find the value, and what Lightning Labs could do to create more um, sort of use case application for you know folks of lower socioeconomic status. And from that, Tarot was introduced this year. It's now out in testnet. And what Tarot does is allow for stable coins to be transacted peer-to-peer instantly, essentially for free, on the Lightning Network. And what that practically means is that a household in El Salvador that doesn't have a debit card, that doesn't, that the banks haven't granted a credit card to, can now engage with the global economy through their Lightning wallet. But using USD, so without exposure to Bitcoin's volatility. And if you're making, you know, a couple hundred dollars a month and your expenses are also a couple hundred dollars a month, you don't have the luxury of being able to tolerate Bitcoin's volatility. That doesn't mean that free peer-to-peer global transfers are not valuable to your family. And Lightning Labs said, we think that we can do this. We believe that these people deserve access to the ability to engage in the global economy. And so... 2022 was in large part, at least from the lightning perspective, about tarot and about what we would be able to do if you could get dollars on the lightning network. And so Testnet launched recently and is in the hands of developers. Lightning Labs is taking in feedback and developers are figuring out, you know, what sort of tool this will be for them. We've also backed Voltage, which is which is essentially AWS of the lightning network. And what Voltage has done is really explored ways for the Lightning Network to be made more easy for folks that want to be actively engaged. So if you want to run a node, if you want to use Pool, Lightning Labs Pool, to access greater liquidity, um, all of that, Voltage is resourcing people in that way. So it's a, it's a, you know, a source for developers and for users broadly. And then what AMBOSS is really is it's sort of the, um, it's the social network and data space and visualization of the Lightning Network. And so this stack altogether helps advance Lightning Network to a place where we can send transactions with 99.999% reliability of receipt. And that's where we really need to get to in order for Lightning Network to be a viable option versus Visa or MasterCard. And I think we're well on the way there. And a lot of that work was done this year. Amazing. Seemingly, there's been a huge sort of influx of, you know, not just usage, but attention to the tooling that needs to be built on top of it, the infrastructure that needs to be built on top of it. And and a lot of it is, in this way, sort of um, driven by the real lived experience of people using it versus just theoreticals, if you will. That's exactly right. And What's especially cool is that because of the type of technology this is, a lot of the real users using this are people of lower socioeconomic status and those in emerging markets. And other technologies, especially fintech technologies, have been based around the experiences and use cases of Silicon Valley 
and people that sort of don't need a new financial tool necessarily, like it's fun. Um, but here we're in a space where we have an opportunity for this technology to be shaped by people who are going to depend on it. Love it. Um, well, listen, I, I love I love that you're out there funding this stuff. I love that you're sort of uh, helping the entrepreneurs who are building this drive things forward. Um, I want to close out the last few minutes with sort of a, a quick hits through. So the big the big picture questions of the industry. So we can go as, as deep as you want, or they can be just a single line. And these are kind of uh, I'm asking everyone just to get you know people's take on things. So we'll start we'll start a little blurry or, or kind of uh, less fun, but then we'll we'll end it up in a good place. Um, so first question is, what's the worst thing that happened in crypto this year? And uh, if you need to, you feel free to rank order. <laughs> There's a lot of competition for the worst thing that happened in crypto this year. Um, I'll have a better answer for that in five years. You know, what was really disappointing was to see how little use people made of the privilege they had. So for instance, the three AC guys that somehow are under the delusion that the FTX debacle is going to absolve them of the fraud that they committed. You know, the three AC guys came from as privileged a place as one can come from. And as a result of that, we're able to raise and sort of accumulate billions of dollars of wealth or fund assets to set on fire, Right. And to sort of lie to the folks that were lending them money and to other business relationships, including apparently in their relationships with founders, startups that they had backed or smaller firms that they had backed. You know, we always like to see people living to their full potential and to advancing the spaces that they operate in. And that's what venture capital is, right? This sort of backing people that have a vision and want to, you know, leverage their own talents and the resources they were able to accumulate to push culture forward. And instead, a lot of what we saw this year in the crypto and the crypto trading space was folks that were thinking about how to use their privilege to sort of um, conduct fraud on a massive scale. This happens in other spaces too. But crypto seems to welcome them in, and that was disappointing to see. Now, on the flip side, to make this positive, Stillmark has the luxury of operating in the Bitcoin space, which we consider very different from crypto. And one of the things that Bitcoiners are maligned for, but that really protects us, is this approach that we take of don't trust, verify. And so, you know, Stillmark has been able, fortunately, to avoid exposure to all of these sorts of things, direct exposure, at least, um, and also in the portfolio. And I think that there's been this sort of like reassurance that these values of, of due diligence and of verifying what you're told um, and of relying on software rules, um, but then questioning rulers, um, or not deferring to, you know, to people of authority has really served the Bitcoin space well. And so it, that's, that's the silver lining here. But this year certainly had very intense competition for sort of, you know, worst lesson um, of the year, unfortunately. Hopefully next year will be easier because we will have re removed so many of these bad actors in 2022. Yeah, so we, it seems like we did a pretty good job of starting the process, at least of cleaning house. So, um, all right, next question, which is kind of a two-parter: 
What's something that people talked too much about and what's something that people didn't talk enough about? Well, people don't talk enough about lightning. So that's, you know, an opportunity for investors focused on the space, but certainly that didn't get enough attention this year. Um, What did people talk too much about? I mean, all of the odd uh, gambling stuff that were, have fancy names for in the crypto space so as to forget that it's gambling. So, you know, I had to answer a lot of questions about DeFi that was really trading a very long tail assets or sort of like meme stocks presented as tokens and explain why we weren't doing that this year. So I certainly had to spend way too much time (laughs) talking about that in 2022. Um, And I'll have to spend less time on that in 2023 because we, you know, the market showed um, why that was not, you know, sort of the thing to be focused on. 2023 is going to show, I think, even more than 2022 did why lightning is, you know, something that didn't get enough attention, has never. Amazing. And then I, that's sort of your, you're jumping into my next question too, is, you know, if you had one wish for the industry, what would it be? And what does a successful 2023 look like for Bitcoin? A successful 2023 for Bitcoin just looks like founders and open source developers continue to keeping their head down to be focused on what they're working on while filtering out noise. Um, And I think that if we continue to be good at sort of keeping distraction out, then that's a success. And every year for every year for Bitcoin has been a really incredible success. It's been so much of a success that we forget what that looks like. So just at the most basic level, that looks like the network being up. So uptime, still, um, Bitcoin has 99.999% uptime since launch, um, which is incredible. It looks like no breaches at the protocol, at Bitcoin's core protocol level. And then it looks like the network continuing to be dependable. Have the rules changed? Can you put your money in and out? You know, if you staked ETH this year, can you take it out? It's not a question in Bitcoin um, because we don't, you know, play silly games when silly prizes, I think is the saying. Um, so anyhow, for Bitcoin, a successful year is doing what it did last year, the year before and the 10 years before that, which is about having the same rules. That's dependability, being a sustaining network that's uptime and then being a secure network. So, you know, it, we're, we're pretty simple over here. And then if we want to go beyond that success to something more, it's about Bitcoin in the hands of more people and with a broader um, utility space. And those are some of the things that we talked about earlier in this discussion. So that's marching ahead quickly as well. I think those are very, very reasonable wishes. Uh, Elise, always awesome to have you on the show. Really appreciate your your perspective and uh, looking forward to a very different and hopefully even more productive 2023. Likewise. Have a wonderful holiday. Thank you for having me. All right, guys, back to NLW here. Reflecting on that conversation, I think one of the things that stands out is just how important aligned capital is to the development of any industry. Part of the reason that investors like Stillmark are really, really relevant is that as entrepreneurs are making decisions about where they're going to spend their limited time and where they're going to spend their limited focus, realistically, where capital is available drives a big part of those decisions. If investors only want to fund new base layer chains because they can turn a quick buck on them, then guess what gets funded? And entrepreneurs being smart figure that out, and that's what they go spend their resources on. 
Now, given all that, one of my hopes for 2023 is that there is more aligned capital for Bitcoin-specific companies. When it comes to having real impact in the world, there are many, many more companies like Gridless out there, and that could be out there, finding ways to experiment with inserting Bitcoin into local ecosystems to solve economic and other types of problems. I am thrilled to see more venture funding flowing to those companies, and we'll do what we can here at The Breakdown to help try to raise their profile as we come across them. For now, I want to say thanks again to my sponsors, Nexo.io, Circle, and Kraken, and thanks to you guys for listening. Until tomorrow, be safe and take care of each other. Peace. Peace.